Do you love racing? Then you've come to the right place. We discuss current topics in most asphalt series, as well as deep dives into the history of racing, race cars, and the drivers. I'm NASCAR driver Derek Cope. I share some of my personal stories, as well as highlighting those people that shaped my career and others. I'm Alicia Cope, and we also take on controversial and engaging topics on many subjects, including NASCAR, as well as tips and tricks that have worked for us in building teams from scratch, keeping relationships, and finding new roads. Hopefully our experiences will inspire you to reach your own goals. Let's get started. Welcome back to Race Theory, episode 39. I don't have Alicia with me today, so I'm the lone wolf, but we're going to talk racing and about a special time, this time of year, which is upon us, and that is Memorial Day. And this is really the start of summer and and a very exciting time if you're a race fan, in my opinion, because this marks uh, the Coca-Cola 600 race weekend, and it's a very big event, which I've been a part of for many years and always enjoyed, and a real test for driver and equipment, as well as the Indy 500, and two spectacles, really, in my opinion. This Indy 500 is, you know, such the most well-known race probably in the world. And you have drivers that are, you know, basically trying to go and do the double. And it hasn't happened, uh, you know, a lot of times. But there has been a number of drivers that have attempted it and, uh, you know, pretty much have, you know, been successful doing it. And that's a that's a quite a feat. And the double is something that came, you know, come about uh in 2001. So, it's been a while ago that it was attempted for the first time. Uh and you know, I I've, I've always been a you know, excited about the Indy 500. I remember my father and I sitting at home watching the Indy 500 and uh it was something that you know, we we just did together and always had interest in. And it was just, I think, something that a lot of people do. Maybe they haven't been total race fans, but it's something that you, you know, you're intrigued by. And, you know, the cars were fast. There was, it was a lot of danger involved. And it was a, a spectacle. It had it, all the pageantry, all the things leading up to it. Uh, the process of the Indy 500 is pretty unique to itself. You know, the the whole month of May, where there's a lot of practicing going on, and the rookie tests that are that were done, and then all the way up to qualifying, and then bump day, and then carb day. So, a lot of elements to IndyCar racing, uh, which you know provides you know a lot of excitement over the entire month of May, which leads us into the summer months of racing. So it really is kind of the door opening for the summer months and everyone kind of waits for for May. On the flip side, you have NASCAR who starts off with their Super Bowl at the beginning of the year, the Daytona 500. So you think, well, you know, is that that's at the beginning of the year and it gets kind of, you know, starts going downhill from there, but it's one of these things where you get to the Coca-Cola 600 and it is another one of the marquee events. 
it is a race that is 600 miles in length, which is a long time in a race car. And Charlotte being one of the very demanding racetracks, it takes a lot uh, of, a, of a toll on the driver himself and the race car itself. You know, so that extra 100 miles, you don't really think about it. You think, oh, another 100 miles. But realistically, you know, these engines, you know, especially in the earlier days, back in the 90s and, you know, early 2000s, you know, they were making enormous amounts of horsepower. And they were, you know, on the volatile side. And at some point, they were turning right at 10,000 RPM. And then, you know, it's 9,500. So you try to sustain valve train, you know, running at that kind of RPM over the course of 600 miles flat out. Uh, it's quite a, quite a feat. And it took a lot uh, for, you know, that to, to happen. And, uh, you know, they're pretty well used up. And 600 miles on a driver is one of those things for you as a race car driver kind of have this mental capability of knowing what you have to do and you do it you find a way you know to draw from within and you run hard you run as hard as you can and you just keep going for the 600 miles and as a race car driver you really have to understand the race car and its capabilities and you have to drive the car hard but not abusively so you have to understand the tires you have to understand the deg in the tire the degradation you have to understand you know how the race unfolds and you're trying to run a sequence of x amount of laps well you know and that is you know either a fuel run or a tire run and then the strategy coming in as far as when you pit getting on and off pit road and then you know, coming out and trying to maintain staying on the lead lap over the course of these 600 miles, which is a difficult thing to do. There are so many variables involved that, you know, you don't really know when one is going to alter the course of your strategy or, you know, change the direction of the way that you approach the race. Or you have to start to come back from uh, a mistake and change the way that you address trying to get that lap back. And hopefully you have a fast enough car to be able to make that happen. So it's, a, it's an intriguing race. It's very hard mentally because this racetrack over the years has been a lot of changes to uh, the Charlotte Motor Speedway. And the racetrack you know, it's very susceptible to weather changes, like a lot of racetracks. But this racetrack is pretty unique. You know, it's normally very hot in the month of May with a lot of humidity. And the racetrack itself is in sunshine for the whole, you know, for the whole day. And then later in the afternoon, early evening, it starts to shadow a corner. And typically one and two shadow first and leaves three and four and total sunlight. So you really get to a point like when you qualify, which sometimes they've changed it over the years, but it used to be Wednesday night. Now sometimes it's Thursday night where they have pull night. But the same thing happens. 
you know, you're practicing in the daylight and it's the weather conditions are hot and slick and you're trying to find speed and then, you know, get done with practice and you're waiting till seven o'clock and then all of a sudden, you know, the shadows come in, you know, you turn one uh, and two are pretty much, you know, uh, having some, cl- some cover over it, some shade and just creates a lot of grip. And then you get down to three and four and you're dead in the sunlight again. And, you know, you have to come up with a compromise within yourself to try to find a way to get through there with as much throttle as you can. So it really is the one thing that I love about a place like Charlotte is that you really, the drivers get to stand out there and really get an opportunity to manipulate the race car and hang on for, you know, one lap or two laps or the case may be now, but you're just hanging on and you're driving the thing with as much throttle as you can and a lot of commitment to driving in the corner, say it's going to be okay and staying in the gas. And then you get to three and four. And of course, um, there's a bump there now, always has been some kind of a bump um, in turn three over the tunnel. And the cars, you know, are very susceptible to getting loose, to breaking loose, um, you know, having a moment there where you have to really, you know, figure out a way to get through that corner with as much throttle as you can to get the, the lap you need. And I have had the opportunity to have a pole. My only pole in Cup Series was at Charlotte Motor Speedway in the October event, not the Coca-Cola 600, but really is a wonderful feeling to accomplish that here at Charlotte because it is an extremely difficult racetrack. And to, to put yourself on pole here and be the best of the best on that one given night uh, is truly a special moment. And they're the same way when it comes to IndyCar racing as well. You look at IndyCar racing when it comes to the, the same thing we just alluded to with, with NASCAR. You know, they have same type of thing. The weather conditions play big factors. Indy is in an area where there's a lot of opportunity for thunderstorms and, and weather. And if you look back, there's always something going on weather-related. And it really is another element that really brings another variable into the equation. and the time of day that you run, try to make your running your runs and your practice runs, trying to understand the balance in the car based off of weather. It's a very weather sensitive racetrack as well, as I told you. Most are, but to greater degrees at some places. And this place, Indy, when you're going 230 miles an hour, there is no margin for error. And the racetrack conditions and the balance of the car, of how much downforce you have in it or I'm, you know, or what you take out of the car for speed is directly related in the driver's butt. And that's something that's very unique. And when I talk about it, to give you a perspective, the average person, you think, well, the cars just go around, they just sit in them, they just steer them, and they go. Well, there is a sense that you get when you are driving a car at high rates of speed. I mean, it's, um, it's probably one of those things where you sense it in your rear end more than you sense it anywhere else. And it really is kind of like linked to your foot. So to put it in perspective for you, when the car is extremely loose and the car is sort of like up on top of the racetrack and just scratching and clawing for grip, your little tail end gets very tight 
and you're almost not sitting down in the seat. You're really just trying to pull yourself up out of the seat belts. But when you're uncomfortable in that way, your foot has a tendency to not go down. And when you're comfortable and you sense that the car is underneath you and you are driving the car, it's not driving you, then your foot has a tendency, you know, to stay down. Vice versa, when the car is loose, I mean, you just have a tendency to, you know, want to lift a little bit or your toes curl back. And it really, it really is mind over matter. You have to find a way to fully commit and find a way to leave your foot down, even when you're extremely uncomfortable and just saying it's going to be okay. It's hard to do. And there's instances that you say it's okay and it's not. And then you're in the fence. So there are a, the, those are the those are the intriguing things about being a professional race car driver. The fact of driving something this projectile through the air at you know <laughs> rates of speed that are not normal, and making this car do what you want it to do, you overcoming your own fears or your own conceptions that this thing's not there, it's not underneath you, but somehow making you believe that it's going to be okay and you are fully committed. And that's the difference between sitting on pole, not sitting on pole, you know, or performing at the highest level that, you know, your car can on that given day. I love that aspect about driving a race car. The mental side is something else. When you test yourself, when you push yourself beyond what you think you're capable of doing, that's a great feeling. There's so much untapped potential in all of us. And in racing, uh, there's a lot left a lot of times that you don't get. And this is an exciting time of the year because these are two very difficult racetracks, Indianapolis and Charlotte Motor Speedway. And there's a lot going on. There's a lot at stake and a lot of emphasis put on every aspect of, this, of these races. Sponsorship, uh, people are spending large sums of money for these races. There is a lot at stake. There is, the, you know, the, the Indy 500 is, you know, a race that, you know, if you're wanting, if you're, if you're a stable fixture in the sport, you know, to call it a career, is to win the Indianapolis 500 and vice versa. You look at Daytona being the Daytona 500, and that is the, the one win that you want to have on your resume when it's all said and done. And so many people, I think, look at these races as, you know, two dynamic races. And so you look at where we're at, we're at you know, Memorial Day, which in itself is a very special day. Uh, the whole week leading up to it, there is a lot of emphasis put on Memorial Day, and rightfully so. And it's always been something that we've enjoyed at Charlotte Motor Speedway. You know, we go back to the days of Humpy Wheeler just putting on such, you know, fantastic um, pre-race shows, um, you know, that are, you know, have, may have actual combats going on inside the uh the infield and helicopters and you know the flyovers all the things all the pageantry here around memorial day 
is something that you really need to see at some point in time. And um, it continues, uh, you know, today to having this kind of uh, excitement that's drawn to Memorial Day and the Coca-Cola 600. So, and the same, you know, with the weekend uh, at Indy. I mean, they, they do it right. And, um, you know, we're at a point where things have kind of gotten to. Uh, and I wanted to talk a little bit about this, the thing that I think uh, hasn't been done a number of times, but a few times, and that is the double. And we talked, I alluded to it earlier in the, in the episode here, but it started in 2001. And this is when Tony Stewart uh, ran the double. Uh, and he was probably the most successful. But it was done earlier by uh, Robbie Gordon. And Robbie did it the most. You know, Robbie was a very proficient IndyCar driver and, you know, made his way to NASCAR and was, uh, you know, I think he made the transition. I, it took a while. He ended up winning, you know, I think a race, maybe two. Uh, I think Loudon, New Hampshire was one, but I'm not sure if he won. I don't want to road course two or not. But, uh, you know, he did it in 1997. Uh, I think he, I think he actually, he finished eighth uh, at Indy and 16th at the Coca-Cola 600. And I think he just missed finishing all the laps. He was just one lap down, I think, at the end of the Coca-Cola 600. So he just missed the full 1,100 miles by, by one lap there. But um, really, you know, it was a, it was a great effort. And uh, he did it again uh, in 2000, 2002, 2003, and 2004. Uh, I believe. And those were the times that, you know, he obviously, a lot of those back then, a lot of those races that he did were upset by rain. So, you know, there was rain delays and, um, you know, I think the race was sent to Monday, I think in one of them. And so, you know, he had some relief drivers and he had to, you know, manage those things, uh, which, you know, changed the complexion of his efforts there. But it did have the one there in, in, in 97 that uh, was, you know, a true double uh, affair. And, um, you know, and I, I did misspeak because Robbie was not the first. Um, I remember, I'm, I'm sorry about that, but it was John Andretti. And John Andretti, well, in 1994, did the double first. And I remember, I forgot that because John, great individual, no longer with us, but I have enormous amount of respect for John. Uh, and I truly like John as an individual. Uh, in 1994, he ran the double and finished 10th and then had engine failure uh, in, the, uh, in the 600. So didn't finish both races. But he was the one that set the, the stage. And, you know, John, you know, the name, the Andretti name, I mean, I guess that's pretty, pretty fitting, really, right? That somebody with the Andretti name would be the first to, to do this. And, you know, John, you know, was a, was a really good IndyCar driver. He's pretty much good in anything he drove. And I think he was one of those guys that could get in anything and drive it proficiently. You know, like a Tony Stewart, like an A.J. Foyt. Uh, just truly, truly talented and a really nice guy, which you would think with the Andretti name and, you know, all the things that he'd accomplished. I mean, he drag raced. I mean, he's, he pretty much did it all. So this guy here was really remarkable. And, you know, he set the tone and, uh, you know, he was the first one to do the double and then people followed 
uh, followed John. So he was the, the trailblazer. And, you know, interesting enough, um, you know, John would have, go on to have a, a very, uh, you know, relatively long career in NASCAR and drove for Richard Petty and uh, Cale Yarborough. Uh, had a lot of successes and won races and, um, you know, just a, a remarkable individual. So I'm sorry that I did not put him first, but yes, he was the first. Then it was Robbie and Robbie ran the most. I think he ran five. And then probably the most successful at that time uh, would come next in 2001 was Tony Stewart. And Tony, you know, I think he ran it twice. Uh, I think... Um, he, he was the only one to finish both races and the only one to finish on the lead lap and in both races, which when you think about it, I mean, that's, uh, that's 1,100 miles. That's a lot of laps, a lot of logistics, uh, a logistical nightmare. Uh, and there were some intriguing things that happened in his uh, quest as well, uh, rain being another, another factor there. Um, I believe he was actually leading the race when rain came and uh they had a rain delay and then uh you know he did have a you know a, probably a, a dead set time that he had to be in the air and leaving the indy 500 to get to the charlotte to run the coca-cola 600 and he was driving the you know um for joe gibbs and was able to finish the race they got the race back underway and he would finish sixth in the indy 500 and then he would begin his trek and his journey back to Charlotte and make it there and finish third in uh, the Coca-Cola 600. So, you know, you, another guy that, you know, kind of like John Andretti, like AJ Foyd, right? Just a guy that can drive anything and was able to, um, you know, pull off a feat um, and, and pretty much, you know, see it through. And pretty remarkable when you think about it. And I know that, you know, there was... There was some talk, I think, of that he had some leg cramps and some other things. So he was fighting it. You know, he was had adversity to overcome and uh, was able to see it through and, uh, you know, and get through the, the two events, which is tiring. I mean, I can tell you, you know, when you run, you know, a Coca-Cola 600, you never know what you're going to get. I mean, I think there was one race there that we were in the car for right at almost like just a few minutes short of six hours. and on into the night, you know, and constant, you know, cautions, maybe, uh, I can't remember if there was rain, rain or not, but I think it was just cautions, and just, the race just took forever, and, and, you know, it was a long time to be sitting in a race car, and, you know, this mentally and physically draining, and they're not easy to drive, and they're, you know, of course, the race, as we alluded to, the racetrack changes throughout the night, you start in the day, and you go through to the night, and end the late night, so, a lot of things come into play there. Then the crew chiefs definitely have a, you know, a difficult time with it, staying up with it, and the driver is doing the same. And you know, fatigue becomes a factor in focus. So, interesting enough, that was something that you know uh, I've always enjoyed. That when people have tried that, I've always enjoyed, you know, listening to it and and um, you know, watching it and and seeing. And we always loved. I remember everybody was. Always at the racetrack, of course, you know, when the Indy 500 starts. So you're up in the lounge of your either your, you know, of, of the haulers themselves or out in your bus and you want to watch the start of the Indianapolis 500 and you keep tabs on the race as it's going through and it migrates into 
you know, the afternoon, you got our driver's meeting, you go to that and you come back and you're always just trying to continue to stay on top of watching the Indy 500. And then you're getting ready for the Coca-Cola 600 at the same time. So you get, you know, two for one, <laughs> two for one day. And, uh, you know, later on in 2014, there was another individual that ran the double and that was Kurt Busch. And Kurt did, you know, an outstanding job uh, in Indianapolis. Uh, he finished sixth. It was really a, uh, I thought, a, a very outstanding effort that he put in there. And it just goes to show you how talented a guy that he is and, you know, was able to go there and be that proficient and uh, make good choices and get to the end of that race. And, you know, you got to give him a lot of credit for that. And uh, he would come back to Charlotte. He would make it back on time and would suffer engine failure. So uh, just like John Andretti. Uh, you know, they had, you know, very good efforts at Indy, but had engine failure in the longest uh, race uh, in NASCAR. And now you are hearing um, all the excitement and the things going on about the next individual that's going to do that, not this year, but next year. And that will be Kyle Larson. Kyle is, you know, one of those guys that, you know, really a lot of focal points are put on this guy. And there's a lot of things about his talent and his ability to drive about anything and loves to drive and continues to drive um, pretty much every opportunity that he can in around the, the NASCAR races and is quite successful doing so. And he has now been fitted in an Indy car. And he is going to run the double next year. So something to be excited about uh, in the upcoming uh, year. Um, and seeing a double performed or attempted at least um, once again. And I have no doubt that, you know, he will um, do a very credible job. He's an outstanding race car driver, very talented. And, uh, you know, obviously has every resource available to him. Uh, to have quality equipment uh, and be able to showcase uh, himself in a great uh, manner and uh, probably have a very good result uh, because of that. So, you know, I want to touch on that because this is, you know, that time of year and, you know, there's a lot of excitement going on and, uh, you know, the IndyCar side of things, you know, this, this is the week that, you know, you're getting ready for the actual events. But IndyCar has already qualified. So, you know, it's, uh, it was, and it was not without um, a lot of drama, you know. So that's one thing I loved about, you know, bump day and qualifying at Indy is it's sort of like back when we started with the Brickyard. Uh, the very first race at Brickyard uh, to qualify for the race there with NASCAR, there was over 80 cars entered. And I didn't have a stellar ride, I had lost my ride. Uh, and went there with a, you know, pretty much a, a very small entity that had not really, I don't think, even made a race yet with this car. And we went there and we ended up qualifying first day, but then they have second round qualifying. And as we alluded to, the racetrack and the conditions really put you in a harm's way and you have to reassess who will go faster the next day. You got to assess the weather. You got to make very difficult conscious decisions and choices 
whether to stand on your time and wait and see what you're dealt or go for second round qualifying. And that was a time that, you know, a lot of cars showed up and you had to go out there and you had to perform and you had to put down your best laps two days in a row. And the outcome obviously was positive for myself. I made the inaugural brickyard with a very subpar team, but it was a great effort on all of those guys. Uh, and, um, you know, it was just uh, a great way to be a part of that first inaugural race. And uh, I was alongside AJ Foyt riding in the vehicle going around for driver intros. And this place was completely packed. I think it was 350,000 people. AJ, this is probably going to be his last race. And he had tears in his eyes. And you can't even, I can't even tell you the, you know, ovations that were coming to AJ and the noise and all of the cheers and good wishes that went to AJ around that racetrack. And I got to witness that firsthand and see tears in, in AJ's eyes and just tells you the passion that this man had for the people that supported him, him and his racing and how much it meant to him that this could be the last time that he would run, you know, that car around there. And, you know, just, you know, his adoring fans. I mean, really something to behold. And, you know, uh, the outpouring of support, love for this man. I mean, just, uh, you know, a true dynamic individual. And I was, you know, witness to that. And so I know what it's like and what this coming up here for these races and what's going on. And it really is uh, a sight to see. And, you know, you, you all owe it to yourself to go to uh, these events um, at some point in your life and uh, not let it uh, go by the wayside. Uh, but they have already qualified. and. Again, as I said a moment ago, without no, you know, definitely a lot of drama. There was uh, one extra car, so normally there's you know there's extra cars, and you know, and in the recent years there hasn't been. So, but we actually had a bump day, and uh, ironically enough, you know, it came down to a very credible race team, uh, Ray Hall, Letterman, and Lanigan racing, and. You know, Graham Ray Hall and Jack Harvey, and there was two other drivers, I think, out of that organization that made the event prior to that. <coughs> Excuse me. And it come down to late in the qualifying session, and, you know, I think Graham, Graham Ray Hall had gone out and made his lap and had posted enough to make the race, but within that lap, he had a failure. Um, of his adjustments, I think, uh, for his sway bars and that broke. So he was really unable to work, you know, what mechanisms they have inside the car to, you know, adjust for the dag in the tire and the, the race, you know, the race car giving up speed over the course of a four lap run. And it kind of, you know, it didn't really enable him to make some adjustments and find a little bit more speed uh, to, you know, post a, a little bit better lap. And then Jack Harvey left. There was just enough time, you know, and Jack Harvey, same team, goes out and puts a lap, his four laps in, and doesn't go quite fast enough. 
but comes in, they bolt another set of tires on, and evidently it must have refueled to some degree, send him back out, and which is so different, to, so difficult to do, and pulls off a lap and beats Graham Ray Hall by, a, by the slimmest of margins and sends Graham home. And I don't remember exactly how many years ago it was, but the same thing happened to Bobby Ray Hall. Uh, his father, uh, and I can't even begin to tell you how difficult that is for a race car driver. I mean, obviously there were tears shed, uh, and you know you're in total dismay when you fail to make a race. As a professional race car driver, you have one thing on your mind, and one thing that is your task. And that is to go out and qualify for an event. And something that I've always really loved about racing is because no matter what it is, when it comes to qualifying, it's you, the car, and the track. And that's all there is. Everything else is irrelevant. And all the choices have been made by the, for the car. The racetrack conditions are what they are. And when you fire off, you have what you have, and you get to go lay it on the line. And that's where commitment comes in. And I'm talking full commitment. In, in Graham Ray Hall's and Jack Harvey's you know, situations, it comes down to, and especially Jack Harvey, with one last gasp and really all odds against you by coming in with a car that's hot and bolting tires on again. The likelihood was very poor, but goes out and wills this thing in the race. And the same thing happens. You know, you, and I remember doing it so much when I went for the inaugural brickyard, I just spoke about earlier. You go out there, you know the odds are stacked against you, but you fully commit and find a way to will this thing around the racetrack. And you just lay it on the line. And you come up with, you know, either a positive or a negative result. But the one thing you can say is that you laid it on the line and you were fully committed. And, you know, total elation for Jack Harvey, you know, to make the Indy 500. I mean, yeah, it's one of the biggest things that happens to you, especially in the capacity that they were going through you know, all of their cars did not really have a lot of speed. And, you know, Bobby Ray Hall, I think, alluded to the fact that he knew that they were in trouble and it was going to be a difficult, you know, task. And they had to keep working and try to find, you know, extract, extract everything they could out of the cars speed-wise. And in Graham's case, it just didn't happen. And it's, it's uh, unfortunate, you know, you hate to see anybody have to go home because you live and die by making the race. And it's so difficult as a team member or a team driver to have to go to the racetrack with the other teams and not actually physically driving a race car or your race car. So interesting enough, you know, um, I can tell you it was a difficult night. It's still a difficult day to day and it's a difficult week for Graham. And, you know, one that, you know, he will certainly remember uh, as Bobby Ray Hall probably has, you know, and continues to uh, relive those those moments moments of uh, angst and 
and disappointment and, you know, your sheer despair. And so it's, it was really, you know, something to reflective, you know, cause I've been in those positions before and I know what it's like to, you know, be on the successful side. And I know what it's like to be on the, um, the opposite end of the spectrum and the devastation you feel. And, you know, you just want to be alone. You don't want to really want to see or talk to anybody and, you know, just somehow get through it. And the only way you do is get to another race. And fortunate enough in NASCAR, there's 36 of them. So you got to go pretty much the next weekend and you're back to, and that kind of gets put back on the back burner and you can go on with your life, but you're miserable until you get the chance to get back in the car again. So I don't envy that for Graham, but you know, uh, great race car driver, the great race teams, and hopefully that they can have a solid effort this weekend. They still have other drivers in the car, although Catherine Legg, I think, who's driving one of their cars as well, uh, had a, a crash on Monday after qualifying and damaged her car. And also, um, Stefan Wilson uh, was in the wreck with him. And he evidently has uh, some issue. Um, I think a vertebrae or something uh, cracked or he's got a, something broke. And he is not going to be cleared to drive the race car. So there will be a sub driver coming in for that. And who knows who that might be? Um, we'll just have to wait and see who gets the drive. But uh, looks like there's going to be a, uh, you know, a change there as well. So not without drama, uh, you know, and trying to repair cars and get the, the cars prepared to go back uh, for the for the Great American Race will be interesting to see, right? So. It's going to be an exciting remainder of the week uh, in motorsports. And, you know, we uh, have not had pole day yet for NASCAR. So we don't know about, you know, who's on pole. But IndyCar wise with qualifying, Alex Pillow, uh, this young phenom, you know, who has already been a champion uh, in IndyCar racing for Chip Ganassi Racing, is at the top of the line. And he has the pole and did an outstanding job. And, continues to be, you know, a factor. And uh, I think this kid will be in the news for a long period of time. And, you know, uh, I know I'm sure that a lot of people um, are after him. And it will be interesting to see if he stays with Chip Ganassi or not, because there was, you know, some, some legal actions and things about him leaving the team at some point, which didn't transpire, but, you know, comes back to win the poll. Renus VK was second. And Felix Rosenquist was third. And then a great effort by someone who's been driving part-time, uh, but Santino Ferrucci uh, had an outstanding qualifying effort. And, um, you know, just to, to see him go out and have that kind of an effort, you know, and to, to see the speed that, you know, you know, some of the teams have right now. A.J. Foyt, Larry Foyt, I'm so proud of those guys. They've had a great effort here uh, this week. They've had a lot of speed, so I look for their organization to run well. Um, but of course, uh, the McLaren with Pat Award, uh, Scott Dixon was right there, uh, Alexander Rossi, Takuma Sato um, and, in eighth, and then Tony Kanon and Marcus Erickson. And Marcus Erickson, obviously um, the winner of the last year's Indy 500. And Tony Kanon, who has yet to win, but has been so close. And this, you just never know if this could be the last time that he has an opportunity. So it will be interesting to see the effort forth of the Tony and always is a factor, always has the speed, he has the talent, and, you know, it's one of those things that seems to have always eluded him. So 
well, hopeful that Tony can have a uh, outstanding effort uh, in this upcoming Indy 500 and see um, see how that unfolds. But again, we uh, have a qualifying in for Indy, so now that they get down to supposedly Carb Day or and um, I don't know if they still have that or not, but they have their final practice session and everything. I think it's on Friday, but they'll be you know in a position where they'll be getting ready for for the race. And we will have for NASCAR the upcoming pole night for the Coca-Cola 600, and qualifying will be done you know shortly for that uh, this week, and then we'll see who will be on the pole. But as of right now. You know, it's kind of interesting, uh, the points the points chase. I think if you look at NASCAR right now, uh, kind of interesting, really. I mean, here you have um, the guy at the top who has not won a race yet, and that's Ross Chastain. And he is one, obviously, that we all probably, if you're paying attention to motorsports at all, you're listening to what um, the rhetoric is about all the wrecks and all the problems and, you know, the animosity going on in the sport is kind of centered around Ross. And Ross has a, you know, very aggressive driving style. Uh seems to be pushing to, you know, to try to get a win and try to take advantage of everything he can to to do that. And, you know, rightfully so. And Trackhouse Racing is an outstanding organization, you know, who really have, you know, you have to give it to those guys. They have you know, evidently they must have a really great engineering staff and all the people that they've procured uh, and the leadership, you know, I think is, 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 is really, very good. They have very highly motivated and they have become a stable fixture at the top. And, you know, both Daniel Suarez and, and Ross, you know, are running exceptionally well and the cars work every week. They seem to be, you know, up front in a position to, you know, buy for a win or, you know, run in the top five and, and, you know, barring any unforeseen, you know, miscues, they seem to be right there. So interesting enough, you know, he's leading the points. And then the young man, Christopher Bell, you know, um, who is another, you know, Kyle Larson, Tony Stewart-esque type of driver, you know, who's run the midgets and, and the, the sprint cars and, and things. And, this young man at Joe Gibbs Racing really has become, you know, uh, the go-to guy. And I think he really, he's doing an outstanding job. And, you know, he's doing, you know, you look at the caliber of race car drivers over there, you know, now you have, you know, you got, you know, Denny Hamlin, who's kind of like the senior, the guy over there now, and Ty. But, you know, Christopher is pretty consistently there and I think is doing a really nice job. And, you know, he's sitting second in points. And then there's, you know, I guess the elder statesman, Kevin Harvick, who was in his last year, and he's sitting there in third. And then you got Denny Hamlin, um, who is quietly stalking everyone, you know, finally got a win. So now is in the, in the chase. And then, you know, again, um, you know, William Byron, you know, had an opportunity. He's won some races and has done a really nice job. And, you know, really is um, kind of, the guy that uh, has been right there, you know, in a position to to win every week, and had some some races he took away from Kyle Larson and some miscues there, but and uh, so you know, you know, Kyle is sitting there uh, in ninth, you know, and obviously his wins, you know, I mean, he's he's kind of moving himself back up in there, and um, 
you know, Tyler Reddick is sitting there uh, in 10th and Kyle Busch right behind them. So uh, it's interesting enough, you know, Brad Keselowski, you got to give him, I think, um, a kudos here because last year the organization uh, at Roush was, Roush Fenway was really suffering. And, you know, um, it's, they didn't really have the effort that they, they wanted, but they seem to have found them their way. And this year they become a factor and more consistently. And Brad is, you know, doing a nice job along with uh, Chris Busher. But, you know, Brad's sitting there in, um, in eighth. And, you know, it's a pretty credible um, change from last year. And they have been right there in the thick of things and haven't, you know, put in victory lane yet. But I think that, um, you know, there's a distinct possibility that that could transpire here uh, in the near future. They um, definitely have righted the ship and uh, is doing a, a very nice job. So, you know, right now, there's been 13 cup races so far. Obviously, Chastain is at the top with no wins. So there's a lot of interesting things coming uh, about. Obviously, a lot of rhetoric with, um, you know, coming out of the Hendrick camp with um, what was said from Rick Hendrick about the situation with Ross and the Chevrolet involvement. So there's a lot of things going on there. 22 races left to go. And, uh, you know, the round of 16 starts at Daytona. Uh, so, you know, we're not... You know, there's still a lot of racing to go, but um, if you kind of look at where things are at, you're starting to really see some trends and the trends are setting towards, you know, who is going to be factors and who is not. And then we'll get off to the round of 12 at Bristol and then the round of eight at the Roval. And then, of course, the championship four after Martinsville heading to Phoenix. So that's where things are at at this point in time. And a lot of exciting things getting ready to happen here in the month of May. So. I hope you all stay tuned. I know I'm going to be uh, uh, I'm going to be up in Lime Rock for the Trans Am TA2 races this weekend. So I'll be watching some of these races from afar and listening and trying to keep tabs on them. But I'm looking forward to this race this weekend. We're back after a long break in the Trans Am uh, series, so we're headed that way, and we'll be at a racetrack. So hope you guys enjoy the Memorial Day weekend, and uh, it's a great time of the year. We'll see you next time. Thank you so much for listening. Did this episode give you some value? If so, please follow us on Facebook at Derek Cope and Instagram at Derek Cope double zero and leave a comment or question and use hashtag race theory. We can't wait to hear from you. See you on the next episode.